0: Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is show number 931. Joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, our beloved leader, our very own Putin.
1: Oh, Oh, jeepers, don't, don't
0: even, don't even. I was watching a documentary actually about him uh, last night and the angle they took was not the oligarchs who knew Putin but the wives of the oligarchs that knew Putin. Mm. (laughs) I thought, any way to get the information. It was actually quite an interesting show if you uh, happen to come across it. But anyways. Do you you know what I watched?
1: And and I was captivated by it. Uh, I only meant to watch one episode and I ended up watching the whole thing. Uh, in one setting it was the woodstock 99 documentary that just ah, started on Netflix
0: Yes yes now I've seen it but I uh, sorry I've seen it there but I haven't actually watched it
1: any good i I was absolutely flabbergasted by the lack of self-awareness on the part of the organizers and the lack of perspective and um, they were just in their own little world they thought they were doing this you know, countercultural event will capture the spirit of 1969 and bring it back and it will be all lovey dovey and Mm. peace and happiness um and it wasn't they completely misjudged the audience they completely misjudged what they were there for they completely misjudged the booking of the bands because as you know sort of late 90s this is sort of you know, New Metal was kind of on a little bit of a downswing, but a lot of the band, a lot of people were there to see Corn. a lot of people mm. were there to see Limp Biscuit, Not peace and love music, when you've got bands that are brilliant at bounce riffs, and one of, you know, one, Limp Biscuit's one of their big songs was uh, Break Stuff. You're not going... <laughs> You know, they, they just had no clue of the vibe that these bands were going to bring, let alone putting two hundred thousand people who are into them uh, in one place at the same time. It, it you know the the level of incompetence is quite staggering. Yeah, and it ha- you know, and there is one bit where um, one of the, the volunteer one of one of the sort of the lower tier guys, twenty two years old at the time, yeah. sitting in a room, uh, puts his hand up meekly and says, "Do you, do you do you know what these bands are like?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Anyway, it was looked at like the biggest idiot on earth, but guess what?
0: We're not here to talk about uh, Netflix or do we Netflix reviews. We're here talking about tech and stuff like that. I mean, it's the middle of August, so uh, kind of what we thought we'd do just for, for, is just to come up with whatever comes up at the top of the head of the mid-year review. Uh, yeah. It's not necessarily that it's a mid-year review because, I mean, we're past mid-year at this stage. Um, it's just kind of... Sorry, normally when we do this for the end of the year, we go through all of our notes all yeah. right? and we say, and we tabulate, we drop stuff and all this kind of stuff. The, the, today is just kind of a, a literally just before we came on, we said, well, what's top of mind? All right. And top of mind no. for the pair of us is, I think, the tech crash. I think that the, the Nasdaq and Apple and Amazon and Netflix all, I love how they talk of the stock market. Do you know what I mean? Like you go down yeah. like 1%, crashed. It's completely yeah. collapsed. Is yeah. this the end for Apple? <laughs> A load of nonsense. And
1: and of course, you know, we've got the semiconductor crisis still happening in China because of the production and logistics nightmare that's happening there. Another knock-on effect of the conflict uh, of the war in Ukraine. Mm. Uh we have, you know, Netflix losing subscribers uh in sort of the post-COVID mindset, also yeah. related imho to the amount of rubbish they have on their platform yep. uh, instead of quality content. Uh, we have uh Elon Musk going to war with Twitter for 44 billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um that's not a drop in the ocean there either. Um and uh just recently, I think it was Oracle announced that they were making $1 billion in cuts, uh, specifically targeting people in sort of sales and marketing, sort mm. of the commercial end of the business. So there's been an awful lot of slash and burn. The only areas that seem to be doing well
0: uh, is uh, cloud services. Really, you think? I'll I'll tell you what's amazing me about the whole thing, all right? Because I'd probably watch stocks and shares a little bit closer, right? Mm. Um, I think this tech crash was coming anyway this year, right? Because in the States particularly, there was a lot of government cash given out. A lot of people invested in the stock market. And because of that, Mm. things just went insanely overvalued, all right? Mm -hmm. So then just as kind of in November, everybody was kind of on, the COVID money stopped. And yeah. the stock market was starting to come down. Then Putin did his thing in, in Ukraine and that literally put the cat amongst the pigeons in, in a bad situation. And everything crashed, all right, including Bitcoin, all right, for its own reasons. Mm, uh, yeah. and, and Netflix, I think, was the first one and then Amazon was the, They were losing 60% of their value, all right? That's point number one. Point number two is Bitcoin, who, who, because we're in the tech end, is like, oh my God, it's dying, it's dead, it's on its last leg. Bitcoin, Hasn't crashed as much as Amazon and Netflix did, all right. And Mm. to make things even worse, when you look at the stock market today, Netflix and Amazon are starting to climb back up again to the prices they were at towards the the start of the year.
1: Right. What do you think is What do you think is driving that? Is that sort of investor sentiment? Is that sort of you know okay? This is the new normal.
0: I think what drives. I've I've only started looking at this in the last year. Okay, so this is this is completely layman's territory. Uh, From what I see, is a lot of it is based on confidence, and a lot Mm. of it is based on the future. So when Netflix come around and say, "Oh, actually, do you know what? For the first time in ten years, we've lost a million subscribers," everybody goes, "Holy moly!" Sell. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And it causes that kind of a crisis, and then the thing bottoms out, and then people go, "Actually, do you know what?" It's a pretty solid business they still have billions of customers worldwide. They have good plans. They're going to change, you know, kind of the, the corrections with their sharing of passwords. Uh, they're going to fix the fact that uh, people are, they, they, whatever, we're going to get rid of a lot of the crud that we're showing and stuff like that. It's going to come good again for Netflix, so I'm going to buy it, all right? Amazon was the same. It was kind of like, well, we had amazing sales and such and such, but actually a big part of Amazon's drop in cash was the fact that they used a lot of the money during COVID uh, to build more... Um, uh, uh, r- 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 fulfillment centers. Yeah. And now that they've spent that money, It'll come back again towards the end of the year, so it's kind of funny with the cycles, the way things go. Um, mm. And the one that amused me was that the tail end of July, uh, everybody was expecting, and the dog in the street knew that uh, the US was going to officially go into recession, mm. all right? Which is where GDP drops for two sessions, two quarters in a row, which it did. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the result was number one: the day before, went the White House went, wow. Well, what is a recession? Is it really when GDP? I'm swear to God, they said. Is it when GDP drops to two quarters? No, we don't believe that because we would also take into account da, da da da. So if that's the news we hear tomorrow, it's not a recession, even though everybody knows it's a recession. That's that's uh,
1: a real technocrat oh answer. Oh
0: my God, you've got all that kind of crap going on, like you know. Uh, and then the other thing is, is that the uh, the market, the stock market, and stuff like that didn't go. Oh my God, we're in a recession. Everybody's kept buying stocks and shares, and everybody's up again. It's. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know, I think the more experience you have of the world and the more you're able to just sit back and kind of watch, the more entertaining it becomes. Anyway, that was the tech crash and we ended up talking about money, yeah. which, we, which we did. Do you know the other thing that uh, has really kind of struck me this year? Go on. And I think we must do a, a feature on this. I think laptops are getting sexy again.
1: OK. Um, actually, we're going to have a discussion on this in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah so exactly. I, I think you're oh. right. So very, um, very they are
0: getting interesting again. Very briefly, uh, I think Samsung have come out with an interesting uh, machine, which I got, and we'll talk about it in a, in another episode. But it does the whole Yoga 360 kind of thing, and it has the S Pen as well, and it's touch screen. Then Dell have come out with a really nice looking uh, XPS 13, where there is no space between any of the keys; it's literally just a slab of letters. <laughs> all right. And it looks, oh, I love the look of it. I haven't touched it or anything like that, so I don't know what it's like to type on yet. Uh, you've had the Surface Pro. Um, do you know what I mean? We're all kind of starting to get back into that area again. It was it was very dull for a long time. like And uh, of course, Apple are doing their thing with the M1 and the M2. And then everybody's just having a joke with the, the MacBook Pro, question mark. <laughs> Yeah. Because <laughs> the well, MacBook Air the, the thing, same thing. And this is going to
1: inform our conversation. Yes. Is that people's uh, replacement cycles have gotten longer and longer and longer uh, for the machines they have. Yeah. Right. So now it's incumbent on all the vendors to come up with machines that really are eye-catching just to bring back down that length of time. Because you buy a laptop now, you're like, oh, I'll get 10 years out of it. The vendors, of course, are like, you buy a laptop. We want you to move it on after four to five years.
0: Yeah. That's oh no! I want, want you to, to move give it, you it on after two years. To do it. Two years. Two years. Move on your laptop. Two years. Move on your smartphone. But the thing is, is like you know, come. Kind of, well, what are we doing that we need? You know, bigger, better, stronger, harder, faster. Yep. You know, I'm still yep. looking at you know Google. I'm still looking at stupid YouTube video. I'm looking at reels on Facebook. Oh my God! Please. Help me delete that stupid app. (laughs) What a time waster. Uh, The third mid-year review thing that's kind of, and this is a lot we've talked about on the show, uh, Web 3.0. Yeah, and we
1: we had um, Carol, Carol, uh, Mm -hmm. define everything for us Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, So it makes me wonder, is this the year that the term has broken through to the popular consciousness? No, or no. No? Do you think it's no. the year that the technologies have aligned and we can stick a pin in it and go, there you go?
0: No. Uh, I think this is the year where the people that matter, which is the people who listen to this podcast and you and I are starting to seriously talk about the metaverse and augmented reality and ai and stuff like that up until now it's been there's been a lot of research and a lot of trial and error and da, da, da. we're kind of starting to see proper results and applications for it and people with money who are going to come in, all right? It hasn't crossed over into the consumer. Now, the, let me let me put it, Web 1.0, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, Web 1.0, I, I first got involved in the internet in, in 1994, 1995. Yeah. And at that stage, it was... Uh, dare I say, popular or whatever, but it was certainly out there in the world and it was a very accessible and stuff like that. All yeah. right. But well, you were involved in RT. building
1: RT's first website, weren't yes. you?
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, 2FM, not 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 all of RT. Yeah. Okay. But anyways, th- so we were doing that kind of stuff at the time and we were helping promote this new weird thing called the internet and email and what's that and all that kind of stuff, like, you know. Mm. Um, so it was kind of all there, but it wasn't, At that stage, 10 years later in 2004, 2005, when we got into Web point two, where the web really took off. Mm. and I think Web 3.0 is kind of at that stage at the moment where it's just, uh, maybe it's critical mass. There's enough people out there now starting to talk about it, where things will actually really start to happen.
1: I think the key to Web 3.0 is the metaverse. If we can get the Metaverse working, then we are at Web3. Yeah, the only problem with that is that Mark
0: Zuckerberg is all over and he is a disaster area. Uh, Him and yes. Elon Musk. I wouldn't let either of them near the Metaverse. Um, whatever the Metaverse turns out to be, I think I don't think the Metaverse is going to happen quite as quick as everybody's going on about. Mm-hmm. But I think definitely augmented reality is here. I think AI is here uh, and it's just getting more and more and more and more applications. And that's well, possibly was going to drive the metaverse.
1: It, it, well, augmented reality, I think, is found mm. to be a little bit of a tougher sell because it's had a more problematic journey. Because when it came out, yep. the, the lead device was Google, Google Glass, which bombed in the consumer space, yep. um, and it bought, then Microsoft came along with HoloLens and, mm. and sort of went, no, no, not the way to do it mm. here. Industry. This is the way to go. And everyone went, yes, that makes perfect sense. We yep. don't need to employ experts and have them in every factory. Yep. You can split a part of problem, send it to a guy on another part of the world. Mm. He'll go, this is the solution. You can do it. It's so much cheaper, solves a problem. Brilliant. HoloLens. And this is how Google Glass is making its comeback. Yeah. It's it's like, okay, this is, this is where you do it. This is where it works.
0: I, th- I think this is the time for people of our ilk to start th- sitting up and going, all right, now it's time to start implementing or at least planning for Web 3.0. I think that's the stage we're at.
1: OK, right. So you'll be able to stitch in on tech radio
0: on the metaverse. Absolutely, we'd love to have you. But uh, bunch up, there's not too much room in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there we go. That's, that's, that's our uh, very quick uh, mid-year uh, review. As Niall said, uh, we're going to get together in the next week or two and uh, bring our new toys uh, with us, the Samsung S-Book and the Surface Pro. And we'll do a special on that for you. In the meantime, do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central. Your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie The past few years have forced businesses to evaluate how they operate. And one of the key changes is digitising. But how can companies embrace digitalization if they can't afford an in-house developer? Olivia Bush is CEO of Format, And she spoke to Niall Kitson about how her company is using a no-code platform to make life easier for the construction sector.
1: Olivia, a lot of the success stories that we cover on the show tend to start with an idea. um, I guess not so much an idea in a basement, but an idea certainly with a laptop and desk and somebody starting with a few lines of code and then jumping into it. And a couple of months or a couple of years later, there's a fantastic success story attached to it. Your journey has been quite different in that you've come towards things from kind of the marketing end of things. So what attracted you to working into, uh, into marketing in the first place, but then segueing into technology thereafter?
2: Yeah, so my background is I've worked about 30 years in technology marketing, which is quite unique in itself. So I think at school, I was one of those maybe strange people. So my A-levels are maths, chemistry and art. So, you know, scientific background, but creative in there. And I think that's probably what drew me to marketing. I took a year, I went to Queen's University and I took a year, my third year, I studied at a college in the US and I specialized in marketing during that year. And that was when I really realized this is what I want to do. I really enjoy this. You know, I think it had the right mix of logic you know, being methodical, especially with the digital stuff, it's very analytical and that suited me, but you've got the creative element in there as well. And, you know, I love drawing and painting and things like that. So I think it just, I found my niche and thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. And then I sought out a postgraduate marketing course. After I graduated and I worked a couple of years in the U.S., I went out for a Northern Irish company and set up their U.S. office. And I kind of went from there. And I've just moved from technology company to technology company. So for ECM companies, for business process management companies, for document management companies. So that's kind of how I got into marketing.
1: And now you're in the, um, the area of sort of low or no code. Uh, application development, Uh, I guess low and no code platforms could be uh, described as an IT solution to an IT problem, uh, specifically starting with the problem of the skills shortage. So for anyone not familiar with these platforms, I mean, just explain them from sort of base principles.
2: Yeah. So Flowform is a no code platform, which means that it's a product built from the ground up for the business user. So right from inception, I mean, when I was approached by about Flowforma in 2016, that's what caught my attention. Because back then it was something very different in the market. And I had come from the business process management background where it took at least six months, possibly 18 months to actually digitize your processes to start to see any return on them. And quite often, to be honest, a lot of those projects didn't work out the way the customer had initially envisioned. So when I was approached by Format, I became quite excited. I could see how it was something quite different on the market, and I could see how it was a tool that somebody that, is non-technical, which I would consider myself. I'm not an IT developer. I don't code, but I could digitize the processes. So the business owner can digitize your, the processes with Flowforma. So they're dependent, independent of IT. They're not dependent on them any longer. And the business owner very often is the person who knows the process best. So I suppose it's quite similar to in marketing at one time, If you wanted to get anything done on your website, you had to go to the IT team. I'm that old. I remember those days. And, you know, you went down to the IT department and, you know, you needed a done ASAP, but it was way down their list of priorities and you used to get quite frustrated. And then the content management systems came in and I, you know. I would say 100% of marketing departments can make the changes on their website themselves, but they're not coders, they're not IT people, but the, the tools now that have enabled them to do it, and it's quite similar to that now, you've now, the process owners, you know, HR can set up their own onboarding digital process, they don't need to ask the IT team to do it for them, and, you know, it also benefits companies that have small IT teams, like very often, IT teams will welcome a tool such as ours because they will realise that it's going to take the pressure off them and that other parts of the business can become more self-sufficient.
1: I think that's a, a point that we're seeing increasingly, especially when you take the, the likes of AI entering the workplace, that it's it's all about taking sort of the mundane decisions uh out of the the loop if you will to free up it departments to do things that are uh, that are of higher value i suppose no code platforms do the same thing only in some cases removing the need for uh a, an it team uh or an it contractor specifically where that might represent a very large uh cost base um for a small business
2: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we do see that more in some verticals than others. So construction would be a very good example of that. They usually have quite a small IT team. They don't want to be spending a large amount on maintaining their systems on a third-party services company. So they want to become self-sufficient. And we've seen good traction for our tool in construction. And I think that's one of the reasons... Why? And also in today's climate, like anyone who's trying to hire out there will know that it's almost impossible to hire IT people at the moment. And if you do get them, they're very expensive.
1: You mentioned their uh, the platforms appeal to the construction sector, which I guess is a, a pretty interesting um, sector in that it's particularly project Oriented, have you found certain types of companies gravitating to your platform? You know, uh, either contractors or you know short-term companies, or indeed companies of long standing.
2: Yeah, so we it, we would find that it's a lot of. I would call the second tier construction company. So the large enterprise companies, we do have some of those. So Belford BDR, customer of ours and WIGs in the UK. So we do have a few of the large enterprise um, customers, but we've probably appealed more to the next level down that can't afford the seven figure sum, you know, of an enterprise software solution, you know, and probably digitizing and process automation has almost seemed out of their reach because of the cost and that's where we come in so we you know have come in at an attractive price in the market in order to allow people that couldn't previously afford to digitize they now can and um, so it's probably the, the second tier level of construction companies um, that we'd gravitate towards us because it's an, it's an effective solution that they can afford.
1: And I suppose picking up on the word solution there, because this is something that potentially has international appeal because it's, it's a global skills shortage at the moment and it's not going to get easier in the short term. So any solution that presents itself to that, it, it's going to have international appeal. How have you found that in your own experience?
2: Yeah, it definitely has international appeal. Like we have the same amount of customers in the US as the UK, and it's been completely a remote sell. And obviously, over the last two years with COVID, it's had to be a remote sell. But even pre COVID, we sold remotely anyway. It's software as a service, it's an easy tool. So, you know, people, it's something people will buy remotely from you. So, you know, we have definitely found we've got customers in Australia, customers in Singapore. So it definitely is um, a global need there.
1: And looking towards the future then, what sort of applications uh, have you seen on the platform that have made you think, actually, this is something that's going to become, you know, standard procedure down the line here, or here's a really novel way of doing something, uh, or here's something that, uh, you know, perhaps we'll, we'll end up falling by the wayside because it's been tried and it didn't work in this environment. So it might scale elsewhere.
2: Yes, construction is a good example now as for that as well, because they have processes that are repeatable and needed across all construction companies. So, you know, materials requisition would be one, you know, early labour requisition that most um, construction companies need. So, you know, that's a repeatable process that, you know, is used across all construction companies. Um, staff remobilization would be one because construction companies have a lot of people um out on site at different places, health and safety, incident management, all those type of things that are repeatable across the construction industry. And that's where we fit well because You know, you can share your templates once it's set up, you can share it across different sites. Um, So we're suited to that type of process automation very well.
0: And that was Olivia Bush from Flow Format chatting with Niall Kitson. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more with our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, you can catch us online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, to steroids and from Niall Kitson, have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie.